This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, and we're starting a, uh, another series of Shurim on Pirkei Avot, a new series on Pirkei Avot from Harav Moshe Taradin. The seventh Mishnah of the sixth parak. The sixth parak is an added parak. It wasn't originally codified with Pirkei Avos, but it was added in order that the Calculus that the mathematics should work out in reciting Perkei Avos in the period between Pesach and Shavuos, concluding with Matantar. So the sixth parak is an ode to the value of Torah, the beauty of Torah, the Kinyani Torah, the way to acquire Torah. So, and, and the style is very, very different. You can see the style of writing is, 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 is very different. It's not the terse, concise body or style of the first five prakim. It's very lengthy, it's very floral, it's very redundant, not, not in the repetitive sense, but it's very flowing. So the seventh Mishnah is a perfect example. The seventh Mishnah essentially issues one statement, very brief statement, very vague statement, I'll try to sharpen it, and then cites several psukim, so to speak, to support this statement of Torah, but the Psukim inevitably raise additional elements. It isn't a tight construction. And I, I want to try to make this Mishnah, if not tighter, at least to highlight some of the subtle issues which these Psukim imply. The actual statement of the Mishnah is about eight words, ten words. Gidola Torah, Shino Senes Chayim Torah is great. Torah is, is wonderful. It's fantastic because it grants life. The key word being life. Le'osah. Interestingly, Le'osah, not Le'lomdah. And some have commented on this phrase, not to those who study Torah, but those who literally, it's hard to find a word in English, but it could mean apply Torah to their lives, it could be who internalize Torah, could be those who actually construct Torah. So that may be a more creative sense, that someone isn't only to learn Torah, but to be a creative partner in the Torah. But it's clearly a word substitution for what we, we would expect, Gedolah Torah, Shehino Senes Chaim Lilom Deha, the Talmud Deha. And then the phrase concludes, The Torah grants life both in this sphere as well as in the next sphere. And to back up that idea, the Mishnah cites about six or seven psukim. Um, I'm just looking at the Mishnah now. They're all for Mishlei, um, which is probably based on the phenomena of an oral tradition. Um, so these were psukim that that Chazal wanted people to remember in unison, in conjunction with each other. There, there's meant to be a logical juxtaposition of these psukim. So even though not every pasuk contains the word Chaim, um, and, and Chaim is the topic of this Mishnah, Gidola Tarashihino Senes Chaim Le'oseha, so the first pasuk contains the word Chaim, and the last pasuk contains the word Chaim, but the middle psukim, the middle four psukim, don't. I just count, I think there are six. One, two, three, four, five, right? There's six psukim, so the bookends do contain the word chayim, but the middle psukim don't. And evidently, Chazal wanted these psukim to be recited in tandem, in unison, in, in juxtap- juxtaposed sequence. So they cited these psukim, and there's a bit of freehand in the Mishnah. So the first pasuk, just to recite the psukim, is a is a lesser known pasuk, ki chaim heim 
Torah is life-granting, the word Chayim, to those that seek it, or L'chol B'Saro Marpe, and it is healing to all flesh. That's in Mishle Perik Dalit, Mishle Perik Gimel, Rifus Tehi L'Sarecha, it will be healing V'Shiku Yelatz Mosecha. This is another Pasek describing the healing powers of Torah. A more familiar Pasek, Eitz Chayim Hina Machazikim Bavitam Chayim Mishas, this actually does contain the word Chayim, I was mistaken. Tara is like a Livyaschein. I'll talk about this phrase a little bit later. Titan Leroshcha Livyaschein, Pasuk number um, four. Viateris Tiferis Timagnecha. Another phrase or another Pasuk which doesn't contain the word Chaim. Pasuk number five. Arach Yamim Bimina Bismala Osher Vekavot. A more familiar Pasuk. In the last Pasuk, Ki Arach Yamim Mishnah Schaim Mishalom Yosifalacha, containing the word Chaim. So the Final calculus is that three out of six psukim do contain the word chayim. Three out of six psukim don't contain the word chayim. A careful reading of these psukim yields not just that one topic or that one theme of chayim, but probably five or six themes that Torah delivers. And I want to just describe them very briefly and, and quote or cite cross-referenced sources in which Torah plays those functions, and they, they really can all be subsumed under the word Chaim, because the word Chaim itself is so general that it could be not a, a topic, but rather a category under which five or six subcategories or subtopics of Torah or Torah's value may have been subsumed. Obviously, the topic of the Mishnah proper is the word Chaim. Um, in a literal sense, Torah gives us our life, our spiritual well-being, our code book for life, the reason that Torah is compared to water, many reasons Torah is compared to water. Hey, there's a share on the KMTT Yeshuvat Haaretzion site, which talks about the metaphors of Torah under the series of Talmud Torah. And amongst all the metaphors of Torah, water and wine and oil and milk and honey, but the primary metaphor to describe Torah is a metaphor of water. Torah nimshalalamayim. The reason that Torah is compared to water Primarily, there are many sub-reasons, many secondary reasons, but the primary reason is that just like water is necessary for, is vital for the sustenance of life, Torah is vital for the sustenance of our own spiritual life. And perhaps the most famous story in the Gemara and Brachos, where Biakiva was was challenged by um, by Papas Ben Yudak, where Biakiva taught Torah in defiance of the Roman decree against teaching Torah, banning teaching Torah. So Papa Spin, you heard the question him, and he said, aren't you afraid of the, aren't you afraid of the authorities? And Akiva answered him with a very well-known parable about a fox who sees fish in the water, and they're swimming from side to side, and the fish inform the fox that they are trying to avoid the fishermen. So the fox says, well, why don't you jump onto dry land, and the fishermen can't grab you there. So they said, well, that would completely sever us from our source of life, and we would die before the fishermen would even catch us. This is a way of saying that um, life provides many, many challenges, and we have to avoid those challenges. And in this parable, the challenges with the fishermen, but we can avoid those challenges better as long as we are tethered to our source of life. Sometimes, in order to face life's challenges, it may be seductive or tempting to depart or sever ourselves from Torah in order to resolve or avoid being trapped by the fishermen, being trapped by life's challenges and traps. But that would just be counterproductive because then we'd be detaching ourselves from a source of life. So it's a, it's a child story, and every child has heard this story, but the 
the deeper meaning within the story is that we very often depart or, or abandon Torah, not because we've lost interest in Torah, but presumably because we have to avoid some of the challenges we've got to invest in, in areas of our life and areas of life's mission that takes us away from Talmud Torah. And the irony is that we're ultimately merely uh, augmenting the severity of challenge or the, the, the peril that we're facing. So the fact that Torah is a life giver and the Torah is compared to water, obviously in Kabbalah, this phrase of Notenis Chaim Le'oseha has much more a cosmological or universal meaning. Torah gives life to those who study, but it also gives life to the entire universe. And Kabbalah articulated, and Hasidus in particular, that Torah is the source of the stability of an entire cosmos, and that the spiritual underpinning of our cosmos, that the cosmos is not just physics, and not just math, and not just physiology, and ecology, and geology, and astronomy, but there's a spiritual underpinning, like Rosh Baruch Hu breathed life and stability into this universe, this grand design, there's a spiritual underplate, and Kabbalah is an attempt to understand that underplate, in some ways to participate and experience that underplate. And Torah is at the heart of that spiritual foundation. So Nesinas Chayim doesn't just mean those who study Torah are, are attaching themselves to a life-giving force, but ultimately it is a cosmological, metaphysical reality that Torah provides the, uh, the vitality for an entire universe. So that's the, the obvious, the obvious... Um, Topic of this Mishnah. Gidola Torah, Sheino Senes Chayim Leoseha Bolamazer Vilamaba. However, one of the themes which emerges, not from the explicit declaration of the Mishnah, but from some of the Psukim, some of the phrases in the Psukim, is that Torah has a healing effect. The first Pasuk, Lechol Bissarau Marpe, Rifus Tehi, will be a healing power. Primarily those two Psukim. Um, the Gemara in Erevin paraphrase some of these psukim. Chash Berosho, the Gemara says, if someone has a headache, Yasak Batara, you should study Tara. Liv Yaschein Hein Leroshecha. Chash Bigrono, if a person has a stomach, has a, has a sore throat, Yasak Batara, Vanakim Legagro Secha. Chash b'meya, the stomach ache. What's the next pasuk? Rifus ti l'serecha. Chash b'atzmosav, yasak batara. That's mosecha. Chash b'chol gufo, yasak batara. L'chol b'sara marpe. This healing effect of Torah is something which the Ramban took very seriously. Ramban is a very famous position in his parish Alatara that ideally a tzaddik should not participate in medicinal responses to illness, but should have trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the reciprocal response of that trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be the Hashgacha Pratis, that Hashem will shower upon him and alleviate his illness, or perhaps even protect him from illness. And the Ramban is very critical of Tzadikim who fail in this test of faith, and who seek medical attention in the classic sense, and the Ramban interprets the Gemara. The Gemara says, This Pasuk teaches us, at least on the surface, that the doctor, or a doctor, 
has permission, authorization, and as most of us understand that even HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, that a doctor is an agent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and provides medical medical relief, understanding the human body that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created and, and devising ways to alleviate moments of, of illness, moments of disease. The Ramban understood that Pasuk very differently, that Drasha very differently, that ideally, from the perspective of a sick person, he should not seek medical attention, but to trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But let's say a person fails to live up to that standard. Let's say a person doesn't sense the Hashgacha practice that he should, doesn't have the strength of character to rely on Hashgacha practice, and then he solicits a medical doctor. As he shouldn't, but let's say he does. So you would think that the medical doctor should refuse treatment because this person is choosing an inferior, a less ideal approach to alleviating illness. So the Gemara effectively says, well, if he wants to, if he actually asks and he really wants the doctor to practice this subsidiary form of medicine, then the doctor has the right to accommodate the solicitation. But ideally, if the world were perfect and the world were operating in the perfect sense, no one would seek medical attention and all diseases and illnesses would be resolved through Ashkach HaPratis and through Amuna. So the Ramban isn't referring to Talmud Torah per se, the Ramban is referring to a spiritual relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, obviously premised in part on Talmud Torah, which facilitates an intimate Hashkacha Pratis interface between a human being, a successful Oved Hashem and the Rabbana Shalom. The, the consequence is health and medical well-being. This Mishnah, or these Psukim, and that Gemara and Erev and Dalet speak particularly about the effect and the impact of Torah. Chash um, Berosho, the Gemara says, person has a headache, the Gemara doesn't say he should rely on his relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and pray that Ashkach Pratis should resolve. If anything, it's more proactive. He should proactively sit and learn Torah, presumably, not just because the Talmud Torah will lead to more Ashkach Pratis, but because there's something inherent in Torah that will cause healing, assuming it's studied properly. It's obviously a corollary of the first statement, if Torah really is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will and the source of life and the more you're connected to Torah, the more you're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the source of life. And presumably that encounter will heal, will create a medical response. Um, many Midrashim talk about blind people who were, who were healed, lame people who were healed at Har Sinai. And to us it seems miraculous, only because it's not part of our natural routine and our natural response to illness or to blindness. But if you think about it, if a person standing at Harsina is more connected to the source of life, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it's really natural that illnesses should fade and well-being should be maintained. Presumably the doctors who didn't perform an autopsy on the Vilna Gaon, but the doctors who were aware of the Vilna Gaon situation, when the Vilna Gaon died, and the Vilna Gaon lived a very stark and what we would call physically challenging lifestyle. He slept two hours a night, um, I think it was in half-hour increments, half-hour shifts. Um, he only ate bread or dabbed in water. These are some of the reports of the Vilna Gaon. And the doctor said that at least physically, his body could have lived uh, much longer than it actually lived, I guess 120 or even beyond, but for whatever reason, he, he, he wasn't given that life. But So the medical community would, would scoff at this. I could someone that hardly slept and hardly ate be in physical condition, but physical condition, as I stated earlier, is, is just one facet of, of reality. If there's a spiritual association with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, which Torah can best mediate, 
then anyone who believes in Torah being the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which we all do, has to necessarily concede that if it's studied properly, maybe only the Vilna Gaon, maybe only someone of higher stature who can study Torah with the same commitment and the same attitude as the Vilna Gaon. But this is not something that we should frown on or scoff at. It's just something which I think should be imperable, should be obvious to someone who really believes in Talmud Torah. Another theme which stems from these psukim really isn't an offshoot of the word Chaim, but it's an offshoot of the middle two psukim of this Mishnah. Livias Chain Heim Leroshecha Vanakim Legargurosecha. The pasuk in Mishlei Parak Aleph. So the Gemara in Erevin in this Mishnah obviously assumes this pasuk talks about healing power. Roshecha Gargurosecha talks about body parts, and the assumption is that it will improve body parts functioning and resolve illness. But the more literal translation of the Pasuk and of the next Pasuk quoted by the Mishnah, Mishle Perak Dalad, Titain should give to your head a Livyaschain. The literal translation of these two Pasukim, one in Mishle Perak Aleph and one in Mishle Perak Dalad, is that Tara is an ornament. Tara is a Livyaschain, is, is a jewel or a crown or some attractive stone that you wear on your head and, and a, a, a jewel piece that you'd wear around your neck. Um, and this is an interesting metaphor, portraying Torah as a jewel. Um, probably the metaphors that it's most reminiscent of, or the parts of halacha or of Torah experience that it's most reminiscent of, is first of all at Har Sinai. Har Sinai, the Jews were given Adi, Adi is a, is a diamond, and after they sinned at the Egel, so they were forced to remove Hared Ejecha, Me'el Roshecha, they were forced to remove their diamonds, and what type of diamond ornament this was or wasn't, it's hard to know. The Gemara in Shabbos talks about angels descending from heaven and giving two crowns after Am Yisrael recited Nasev and Ishma. Um, but whatever, whatever it was actually, there's no question that there's an association between wearing diamonds and jewelry, and in this case diamonds and jewelry even for men, and learning Torah and studying Torah. There are many halachos of tefillin that portray tefillin as a type of decorative. The word tartafos, which is a strange word, but the word tartafos may refer to a diamond-like quality to having tefillin at least on your head. And the tefillin shalrosh are exposed and the tefillin shaliyad are concealed, so it's certainly the tefillin shalrosh which would play the more ornamental role rather than the tefillin shaliyad. And this diamond metaphor is suggested of two aspects of Talmud Torah. One aspect is just the beauty of Torah. The person has to realize, as I've spoken about on many occasions, the burden of Torah, the difficulty of studying Torah, the struggle to study Torah, the hard work, the labor. But sometimes all of that labor and toil obscures the beauty that person should see in Torah, the majesty, the sweep, the splendor of Torah. So we have to train ourselves to be attentive to both, to be attuned to both, to the toil and effort, but also to the beauty and exquisiteness of Torah. But even more so, this is not just a metaphor describing Torah's beauty, but a metaphor describing wearing Torah's beauty in a public fashion, not in a vain fashion, not in a self-promoting manner, but that a person who has studied Torah has the right, and some would even say the responsibility, to project that Torah identity with dignity and in some ways, and this is a 
harsh way to say it, but with distinction, distinction not just in the proverbial sense, but with distinction between those who, literally division, between those who study Torah and those who don't study Torah. Um, again, not in a deprecating or dismissive way, but this was an idea, for example, which was very, very central to the Slobodka yeshiva, that you are a bentara, and you should behave like a prince, and that self-image should steer you away from Averos. person sees a attractive woman, let's say, in the street, so classic Musar would say that you should prevent any temptation by thinking about that woman as uh, worms and dust, Rimavatolea, it's just transient beauty, nothing to be excited about. Whereas Slobodka Musar had a different strategy. You may be excited in theory, but Pasnish, you're, you're too great, you're a prince. Even if there is something exciting about that physical attraction or any other Yetzirah, you're too great, you have too much going for you, Godless Adam, you have too much potential, you shouldn't forfeit that potential for something like this. But it wasn't just an image, it was an image that was portrayed through dress. The Slobatki Yeshiva boys were to dress in the finest suits and to smoke in those days the best Cuban cigars and and it was a very clear sense of pr- promoting or projecting the pride of Torah. Um, in some ways that's a forebearer of today's Yeshiva world, the classic what some people call the Haredi environment, in which dress has taken on a very, very strong role. Um, there's really nothing sacred about a white shirt and black pants as opposed to a blue shirt and red pants, but there's a uniform of a Talmud Chacham, there's a uniform of a Yeshiva Bacha, there's a uniform of a Rosh Yeshiva. It's supposed to be a certain degree of self-respect projecting, and we all believe that, and the question is, how do we use dress? Do we use dress to create divisions between ourselves? Not arrogant divisions. They can become arrogant, but ideally they're just meant to be central and 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 uh, existential. Or do we try to downplay divisions and therefore downplay differences in dress? And those are just two very, very different shitas, two very different approaches. So this is a third theme which emerges from this mission of the theme of ornament and decoration. Another theme which emerges from the Mishnah, is the theme of protection, that Torah is meant to protect you. Ateris teferis temagnecha, that um, the, 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 the Torah will protect you. This is a Mishnah Perak Dalit. Um, Torah is a protection, is, a, is an old uh, question, an old challenge, um, an old challenge and a new challenge. So those who don't serve in the army today in Eretz Yisrael base themselves on a phrase, in the Yishalmi in Chagiga, Perak Aleph, Halacha Zayin, who are the Nituri Karta, who are the ones that are, many people know the phrase Nituri Karta, but some may not know what it refers to. Nituri Karta literally means, literally in the Gemara, those who protect the city. And where it says, Man Inu Nituri Karta, who are the people that protect the city? Safrai Umasna Yana, those who study, those who write Svarim. And there are many Gemaras that talk about Tamidi Chachamim being excused from city taxes collected for security teams and for guards because the Torah they're studying is protecting the city more so than any um, practical measure to secure the town. And, of course, this phrase figured prominently in those who ideologically became the current-day uh, group of Naturi Karta, but in general, even those who wouldn't refer to themselves as Naturi Karta, a person who doesn't serve in the army, Yeshiva Bachar, uh, a Haredi member doesn't serve in the army. We ask him, well, why don't you serve in the army? Isn't it Sakharis Afashos? Aren't you? Don't you have to protect others? And they would say, by my sincere and committed and passionate Torah study, I'm doing more. And, and our response can't be to disagree with that. We feel they are. There's no question that our 
survival and sustenance in this country is supernatural. It's based on the amount of Torah we're studying. Those who do serve in the army and study Torah, what people refer to as the Datilo Mipras, would say, well, I want to do both. I want to study Torah, and I also want to serve in the army. And that's obviously a debate beyond, beyond the context of this 30-minute uh, MP3 shir. But this is a Mishnah, or this is a Pasuk in Mishlei, and a, a parallel Gemara in Chagiga, Yishami Chagiga, which lends strong credibility to, or viability to that approach. So this is another phrase which the Pasuk uh, evokes. Another image, and this is um, towards the end of the Mishnah, Ki arach yamim chayim yosifulach. It doesn't just provide life, medical relief, um, protection, ornamental value, but shalom. And perhaps the more the more um, well-known they're world builders. And many people don't know, but this is a concluding phrase for four Mesechdos and Shas, probably closer to five. But Mesechas Brachos, Mesechas Yivamos, Mesechas Nazir, and Mesechas Krisos all conclude with this phrase. And Tamid is it's almost at the end of the Shas, almost at the end of Mesechus Tamid. So when the Gemara was codified, Ravina Ravashi felt that this was a, a very important thing. The Tamid Chachamim are peacemakers. Um, how are they peacemakers? Well, in the metaphysical Kabbalistic sense, the more Torah that's studied, Chazal say, Osa Shalom Epamalia Shalmalia. The more Torah that's studied, the more that our universe thrives and operates properly. Um, Without question, um, if, if wars are seen as a degeneration or deterioration of our world, of the inability to get along, part of our messianic vision is not just of spiritual renaissance and spiritual awakening, but ultimately of peace and some of the prophecies of wars no longer being fought. Obviously, there are wars that accompany the actual process of Mashiach, but the post-messianic era is not an era; is an era of stability and tranquility and peace not one of violence and belligerence and militancy. So the Talmud Chacham, through his Torah study, advances Mashiach, that in a historically encompassing manner, he's leading to an era of peace and tranquility. I, I can't tell you that the more Torahs that is studied will directly, in the diplomatic sense, I don't imagine that if we were able to study more Torah, then all of a sudden the UN will at least rationally vote uh, towards world peace, uh, in, in the rational sense, but in the longer calculus of trying to create a redemptive era beyond wars, beyond fighting, beyond belligerence. So certainly Tara is Tamir HaChamim, Marbim Shalom Bolam. These are people who are interested in, in campaigning in favor of peace, and obviously on a practical level as well. Most Tamir HaChamim are not belligerent, most Tamir HaChamim are not warfarers, most Tamir HaChamim are uh, uh, the, the, the spirit of Torah is one of peace. The spirit of Torah is one of tranquility, one of uh, good relations with those around us. So this is another phrase which emerges from this mission. And the final phrase, or the final idea which emerges, is just the eternity of Torah. They, going back to that first statement, G'dolah Torah she'ino senes chayim le'oseha be'olam uv'olam haba. Talks about Torah's role in delivering life, not just in this world, but in the next world. And a bookend... The book and Psukim, Pasuk number one, as well as Pasuk number five and six, articulate this. Pasuk number one is Chaim Heim the word Chaim. The third Pasuk is Eitz Chaim Hei Lamachasikimba, 
the tree of life. And here, the tree of life is not just a metaphor for a life-giving or life-delivering experience, but the actual light's a high. Um, sometimes we forget the fact that man was supposed to be eternal and was supposed to partake of the Yitzchayim. HaKadosh Baruch had no problem, presumably, with Adam and Chava partaking of the Yitzchayim and just preserving their immortality, whatever that means. To, whatever the Yitzchayim was or whatever preserving immortality means, but they were forbidden from partaking of the Yitzchayim. Once they partook of the Yitzchayim, and for whatever reason had to be banished from Ganeiden, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu no longer wanted them to be immortal as a punishment for other reasons, so they were banned from partaking of the actual Eitzachayim, but they were offered a different Eitzachayim to grant them immortality, and that's Torah. So that Pasuk, which we recite so often, Eitzachayim Hila Machazikimba, is essentially substituting Talmud Torah for what was meant to be an original Eitzachayim. And Torah is the only experience in our world that will exist in the next world. Nothing of our world will extend into the next world. Not our physical experiences, not even our mitzvahs. There are no mitzvahs in the next world. Um, the only experience from our world that will be replicated in the next world is the experience of Torah. There's a beautiful Gemara Moed Katan where Vashi is walking through the market and he sees the Malacham Avis. And the Malacham Avis informs Ravashi that he's come to take him. And Ravashi says, give me 30 days. So I should review my Torah because it's known that when you walk into Shemayim, they announce, Ashrei Misha Balakan, Fortunate is a man who walks through these gates with his Torah intact. So he wanted 30 days just to improve or to organize and collect his Torah so that he could take it with him into Olam Haba. So the fact that Torah is eternal is evidenced by that positive, as well as the last two psukim in the Mishnah's list, Arach Yamim Bimina, Arach Yamim typically refers to Yom Shekilo Arach, refers to days and time and experiences which are beyond time, which are eternal, which are infinite. Arach Yamim Mushnas Chayim, Kiheim Chayenu, we say in Davening, the Arach Yameinu, Tara is our life in this world, and it's also our Arach Yameinu, which Essentially, it's just a different way of reciting this Mishnah. The Kihim Chayenu, the Arach Yameinu, is a more poetic, liturgical way of saying, Gidol Torah Shehinosenes Chayim Leoseha, Biolam Hazeh, Uviolam Haba. Our Mishnah is much more clinical and legal. The phrase in Davening is much more poetic and liturgical. Kihim Chayenu, Biolam Hazeh, Chayim Biolam Hazeh, the Arach Yameinu. So this is a Mishnah which is stylistically reflective of the sixth parak of Pirkei Avos. The actual statement is very general, Gedele Tarashin Osen Eschayim. There are six psukim that are quoted. But if you look at the psukim carefully, you'll see beyond the concept of Chayim, other concepts emerge, namely life, health, ornamental value, protection, peace and tranquility, and finally, eternity.